0: 2 Corinthians chapter number 3 tonight. I'd like to read three verses to you tonight, and I'd like to give you four thoughts. 2 Corinthians chapter number 3, beginning in verse number 1, the Word of God says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. Forasmuch as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God, not in tables of stone, but in fleshy tables of the heart. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this time that you've given us. I pray that you would apply your word just exactly where it needs to be in our hearts and lives tonight. And Father, that we would meet with you that through the Holy Ghost you would have conversation with us tonight about our heart's condition. Lord, that before we leave here we'd find ourselves closer to you because we've been obedient to your word. Lord, we love you, we thank you for it, and we ask it all in Christ's name. Amen. Notice again verse number 2 very quickly. The word of God says, Ye, speaking to the church at Corinth, Ye are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read of all men. You'll find as you study the Word of God that typology is in some ways not just confined to the Old Testament. You'll find all through the Word of God word pictures that are given and truths that are given that are expressed to us through different pictures and symbols and ideas that can help us to better understand something about that spiritual truth. And we find in our passage here tonight such a picture. And it's defined or it's represented by the use of the word epistle. Now, we don't use that word very often today. We use the second word that's found in uh, verse number 1, the word letter. Uh, And in fact, really the idea of letters is becoming a thing of the past very rapidly. But most of you have grown up in the letter-writing generation. And if you owe anybody money, you still know about letters because they send them to you. Or if you ever put your name down on any kind of uh, sweepstakes thing or uh, filled out a card somewhere at a restaurant, then you know about letters because they're still sending things to you. A letter is meant to convey thought from one mind to another. It is meant to take a message or a truth and move it from my mind to your mind. It is a uh, vehicle for thought or idea. Word of God tells us that as believers, we are letters, we are epistles of Jesus Christ. Can I say that a letter uh, does not do much good unless it says the right thing and gets to the right person? You know, uh, we live in a day where everything has gone to email, and I think it's become we've cheapened the idea of a letter. There used to be a time when somebody sent you a letter and it meant something. But can I say that in a day of mass evangelism, And I'll be honest, we do have mass evangelism in the day. that We don't have mass revival, and we're not seeing masses saved necessarily, but never has the gospel been propagated as much as it is today. Can I say that there is an effect that you can have just the very same way that if you were to go to your mailbox, open your mailbox, and find a handwritten letter that means something, it automatically climbed to the top of the stack You'd push all the other le- the, the letter you got from the bank, the, le- the advertisement you got from the, from the dish satellite people, uh, you know, the coupons that you got from uh, the, the whatever organization in your neighborhood, whatever little publication in your neighborhood sends out, uh, those types of things. If you saw a handwritten letter, it would immediately climb to the top because you knew that somebody took the time and took the effort to sit down. It was important what they were writing to you. Could I say that in the day that we live in, when there is mass evangelism and just mass information in general, that the way you get to the top of the stack is by letting people see the life that you live for Jesus Christ. There's nothing that replaces living for Jesus Christ. That's true of every area of the Christian walk. That's true in our prayer life. That's true in our church life. And that's true in our evangelism. You can talk all day long, but it's not going to mean anything unless they see you living. It. And it's with this thought that Paul is writing to the church at Corinth. And I want to show you four things that I just see very quickly in this passage, and then we'll go to the house. Notice first off the source of this epistle or the source of this letter. Look with me at verse number 3. Paul says, For as much as ye are manifestly declared to be the epistle of who?" "...of Christ." Can I say that your whole life ought to represent Jesus Christ? Not just a portion, not just on Sundays or on Wednesdays, but your entire life ought to be about Jesus Christ. We live in a day where church is something that we seek to compartmentalize and uh, shove it on down to the uh, beginning of the week and uh, get it out of the way and then get it done with and ignore it and go to the house and be done with our responsibility to the Lord. But can I say that just as this letter is a letter from Christ, meaning that the messages, the ideals, the truths in are all going to be from Him, I mean, when somebody writes you a letter, you know you're hearing from them. That letter is from them and it's usually all about what's in their mind and their thoughts, that same truth applies to us as believers. We ought to, above anything else, be about Jesus Christ in the way that we live. It ought to be that Christ consumes our life. Me and my wife were talking on the way in tonight, and we we're talking about all the activities that we have. we got a lot of stuff going on around here. And uh, I know I can say this, nobody's going to get upset with me, because I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd. I'm preaching to the crowd that's involved, and I'm aware of that. But if I can just encourage you tonight, we were talking about all the things involved, and I said, it's my desire that the house of God consumes the life of the people of Wallridge Baptist Church. Now, some folks would say, well, you know, that's asking too much, preacher. Well, nobody's going to come and drag you at gunpoint. We still live in America. You can still do as you please. But I'll tell you right now, the only way you're going to live for Him is to become consumed by Him. The thing that our kids need, the things that our family members need, they need to see a life that is consumed with Jesus Christ. We see that he is the author. Notice the second thing. We see the ministers. What does it say? The epistle of Christ ministered by us. Can I say that God puts people in your life to help you with your, with your Christian life and with your testimony? Uh, we don't always like to receive advice, but, you know, if you're going to get a letter, a lot of times you're going to get advice, amen? And uh, God puts people in our lives. Now, I don't say this to puff me up. I don't say this to elevate my influence in your life whatsoever. Uh, if I don't have any influence in your life now, I probably won't at the end of this message, so I don't say it for that purpose. But I'm just merely saying uh, that Paul said God's put us in your life to minister to your testimony. There's a lot of things that we hear, you know, and, and I was a I was a Christian school kid and I was mean because <laughs> Christian school kids are. And I had people in my life that tried to help me along the way. Some of them really helped me and I listened to them and I received it, but others of them I didn't. And sometimes it was the approach that they had, but then sometimes it was just my own uh, filthy and rotten rebellion. And I can think back to people that God placed in my life, and they told me about things I need to watch out for. They talked to me about things that could harm my testimony. They talked to me about my influence and, and the opportunity that I had to be, a, to be the kind of Christian that could lead people to Christ. And some of them, I just brushed them off. That's just the truth. Some of them I dismissed and I ignored. But I look back at my life now and realize I would have been the better for it if I had listened because God was trying to use them to help my testimony. We don't always like to hear it when something's wrong. I mean, that's the truth. I don't any more than you do. Uh, sometimes when folks uh, come to us and talk to us and tell us about things in our life that need to be changed or need to be better, sometimes we either dismiss them or sometimes we despise them. But we better be careful because we might just be despising the wisdom that God is trying to place in our lives. Paul says we had an impact. And I understand Paul's writing about the vindication of ministry, But it doesn't change the fact that Paul says God was trying to do something in your life and He used us to do it. Now, there's times God will split heaven open, it seems, and just step down into your life and show you something. I've had God do that for me. You probably have for you. But that is not the norm. Most of the time, God uses people. Most of the time, God uses folks in the right place and in the right time. And if we're in the right spirit, we'll receive it in the right way and the right thing will happen. But too often in my life and in your life, it's probably been true that God has tried to deal with us. But maybe because of the person, maybe because of their approach, maybe because of where we were at, we shut them out and shut them off, wanted nothing to do with their advice or with their encouragement or with the lesson they were teaching us, and we completely missed what God was trying to do. Paul's saying what you are now, you are because of Christ, but Christ used us in your life to bring you to closer walk. You ought to look for people like that that help you in your life. If I could give, and I know the young people are upstairs with Brother Kerry, and I know they're getting preached to better than they would if they was down here. Uh, But but if I could say one thing to young people tonight, and I'll say it to you because most of you all feel like young people anyway. I know you do. But if I could say one thing to young people uh, uh, tonight, I would say this. Surround yourself with people that God can use to help you. Don't surround yourself with folks that's going to drag you down. I've known folks in life that they spent all their time, I mean, they, they, they wanted to live for the Lord. They spent all their time on the telephone talking to folks that drug them down. Folks that griped and moaned and complained and gossiped and were negative. And listen, I'm not, I'm not Norman Vincent Peale. I don't believe in the power of positive thinking, but I do believe that, that our life, I mean, it, you know, it, it, it's what we put in is what we put out. I mean, that's true. What we allow into our lives is, is what our life produces. If you put trash in your life, and that's true of people too, and I'm not saying those people are, are unimportant or that those people ought not be loved, but I'm saying that if you let those people in your life and let them affect you, they'll drag you down, they'll get you to the place that you're of no use for the gospel of Jesus Christ. We need to have people around us that are going to help us are going to encourage us. That's part of the reason we ought to be consumed with the house. And remember, I'm preaching to the Wednesday night crowd. I'm not throwing rocks at anyone. You're here because you love the Lord and you want to be here. Uh, So I'm not fussing at you. If anything, I'm preaching to those that ain't here. But let me encourage you by saying that we ought to be consumed with the house of God because that's what's going to build us up. That's what's going to build us up and that's what's going to lift Him up. So that's the design of it. Uh, You'll be best. Don't get me wrong, you can find folks in the house of God that are that way, just like you can outside, but there's a lot less of them where there ought to be a lot less of them. And so it'll help us by doing that. We see the source, but I want you to notice, secondly, the scope of this epistle. Every letter is written to somebody. Even an open letter is written with somebody in mind. And what does Paul say about this letter That's been written. Now remember, a letter is given for the purpose of conveying thought or idea from one mind to another mind. That's the very reason that we do it. Uh, Anytime you put pen to paper, that's your idea is to take what's in here and what's to put it somewhere where men can see it, even if it's just you that's going to see it, even if it's just a note of reminder. You're putting it on paper so that it'll be somewhere where it can be viewed and observed. So who's viewing us? Look what it says in verse 2. Paul says, "'Ye are our epistle written in our hearts.'" Known and read of all men. Known and read of all men. Can I just preface what I'm about to say by saying everybody has a testimony. Everybody. Maybe a good testimony. Maybe a bad testimony. But we all have a testimony. We all are impacting folks around us. We, we don't like to think of that. You know, I remember, again, when I was a kid and, and I grew up with youth pastors and I grew up with, with Bible teachers and people in my life, and, and they would tell me sometimes, you know, you're, you're having an effect on those around you. And I didn't see it at the time. I don't know that I even see it that much now. But but I would think to myself, nobody's paying attention to me. Little did I know that there sure were people paying attention to me. And some of you may think, well, I, preacher, you know, nobody pays attention to me. Nobody pays attention. Somebody's paying attention. Somebody's watching you. Preacher, I don't get out much. I don't go many places. Nobody's paying. Hey, you got people watching you. You go to the store, people are watching you. You go to the bank, folks are watching you. If you don't ever leave your house, your mailman's a-watching what comes in your mailbox. There's always somebody watching you. Notice the two thoughts here. I want to say, first off, and these are just, I mean, this ain't real good preaching, but, but it'll help you. I want you to notice, first off, that we wear a label. What does it say? We're known of all men. We're known of all men. I would venture to say that everybody in here has at least one person in their life that knows they're a Christian. I hope that everybody in your life knows you're a Christian. But I'd say that every one of us probably have at least one person. Or we might look around. I don't know how many folks is here tonight. But we might look around at this crowd and say, We know we at least have this many that know we're a Christian. Uh, You probably have family members that know that you're a Christian. Do you know you took a great responsibility to yourself when you opened your mouth and said, I got saved, or I'm a Christian, or I know the Lord, or I go to church. You pull a big old helping of responsibility upon you, because now you are the person that's being looked at. It's been said before that many men that will never read a Bible will read you. And that's true. Some of you are the only Bible that anybody is ever going to read. You're known of men. Great responsibility when we say, I'm a Christian. What does that mean? To be a Christian, what does it mean? The Bible says they were called Christians first to Antioch. It was a derogatory and a derisive term whenever it was first mentioned. You know what it literally means? It means Christ-like. The followers of Christ. Now, think about it. We've become so numb and so familiarized with that terminology that we have missed the impact that that language has. When we say we're a Christian, you know what we're saying? We're saying, I'm Christ-like. That's what we're saying. Whether we're Christ-like or not, that's what we're saying. In other words, what we're telling people when we say, I'm a Christian, is we're saying, if you want to know about Christ, look at me, because I'm just like Him. That's what we're saying. Oh, I know, I've, I've read the poems that talk about, you know, I, I'm, and, and I agree with them, by the way. I agree with the poems that say, you know, well, I'm not a Christian because I'm strong, I'm a Christian because I'm weak, or, or, you know, the, the, the uh, poems that talk about, you know, well, I'm, I'm not perfect, I'm just forgiven. Listen, I get that. I understand that. I rejoice in that truth. But it doesn't change the fact that you've got lost folks looking at you and making their mind up about Christ based upon you. We're known of all men. They're looking at you and saying, that's what Jesus Christ is like. Oh, they may not say it in that way, but you know what they're saying? They're saying, well, that's what church folks are like. You take off in a tantrum and and let off a few oaths and and cuss a few times, that's their opinion of church folks. They see you sleeping in on Sunday mornings, that's, that's their opinion of church folks. They see you, hey, I'm not fussing at you. It's a Wednesday night crowd, I'm not fussing at you. But I'm saying, they see you laying around with the TV a-glowing on Sunday night or on Wednesday night, they say, that's what church folks are like. We're known of all men. We're known of all men. Uh, my little boy next door, a little neighbor boy, and, and you don't have to be too bright. I mean, you don't have to be, you see somebody leaving the house with the whole family and they're dressed up and it's a Sunday, you know, you can connect the dots. But it still blessed my heart that we were leaving the house and a little neighbor boy next door, I mean, probably five, six years old, something in that neighborhood, uh, came up and he saw us on a Sunday morning, headed to the car and he said, Are y'all going to church? And I said, Yeah, we're going to church. He said, I figured you was. <laughs> I figured you was. And a lot of you, when they see the way that you live and you say, Well, I'm a Christian, they say, I figured you was. I figured, for good or worse. I figured you was. We see, first off, that we wear a label, but notice, secondly, that they watch a life. Known, and what does it say? Read of all men. Folks don't just know we're a Christian. They start examining. They start watching. How we live, how we live says so much to this world. We live in a day where there's no respect for the things of God, the Son of God, or the house of God, or the Word of God. Most of us would admit that. You can look around at this world and see if that's true. Whenever we get done, finish up tonight, the last thing we'll do as we leave this building is we'll lock the door. Now, some of you remember a time when that was unnecessary. Preachers will stand up on Sunday morning all over this city and they'll say, open your Bible. And folks will sit there and say, well, I wonder what Bible means. Some of you remember a time when it wasn't like that. Folks will get up and there was a time when if you heard the name of Jesus out in public, you didn't have to wonder if somebody was cussing. You knew they wasn't. But now, more often than not, you hear the name Jesus. You can assume that they are custom. But some of you remember a time when it was not like that. We live in a day where things are disrespected. And I, I'm just convinced that a lot of that reason, people respect that which is real. You know that? They respect that which is real and powerful and authoritative. And we live in a day where men have lost respect for the things of God. And I wonder sometimes if it's because of the letters that they've been reading. I wonder sometimes if it's because they don't see authority and power and reality in the lives of those letters that they're reading. And they say, well, there might, must not be much to that Christ fellow, because look at his Christians. We see that they watch a life. Notice sec- uh, thirdly, fourth, fifth, I don't know. Notice the substance of these letters. And, and I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is right there in the text. But I don't believe we're doing damage to Scripture by, by just touching on this. Do you know that a letter, letter, the power of a letter is determined by the substance? The opening of the letter is determined by the name that bears it. But the impact of it is determined by the substance. Notice two things about the substance of these letters that must be right. I would say that first off, they ought to have the right message. We can't help folks if we don't have the right message. And that's true not only of our testimony and our lives in that sense, but we ought to point people clearly to Jesus Christ. I am of the belief that that one of the reasons we are so anemic in the day that we live in is we don't talk about the Lord the way that that Christians did in the time of Paul and and Peter and James. And we don't talk about the Lord as they did in the the days of the nation of Israel. You go through the book of Psalms, and and the book of Psalms, about half of it, uh, it seems, is just the psalmist talking about all that the Lord had done. All that the Lord had done. I was just reading again in the book of Joshua, and Joshua talks about uh, the testimony of the fact that that the Lord had parted the red. Well, in fact, we preached on it on a Sunday morning. Rahab, she had heard what the Lord had done in their lives. She had heard that they had parted, that the Lord had parted the Red Sea. She had heard that the Lord had overthrown great armies. And can I say that we can make a great impact if we just talk more about what God's done in our lives? We were talking the other day, you can tell me and my wife talk a lot because I say it a lot, but we were, we were riding home, we were talking about all that God's done for us. And I don't just mean having saved us, and I don't just mean having given us a little boy, and I don't just mean having, you know, put a roof over our head. We're talking about all the things day in and day out that God does for us. Most of you, if you racked your brain, you could name at least one thing that God's done for you today. Outside of just giving you a roof over your head, outside... I mean, listen, we ought to praise God for the breath that we breathe. We ought to praise God for our health. But most of us could name at least one thing that God's done special for us today that He didn't do yesterday, but He did it today. We could name something that God's done. That's powerful. That's powerful. We can talk about a living God, and that's powerful. Powerful. Notice what he says, the spirit of the living God. Do you understand that God does things in your life day in and day out? You ought to tell sinners about those things. If we talk about them more, maybe they wouldn't be so convinced that our God's dead. If we go to sinners and say, let me tell you what God did for them. They may laugh at you, but guess what? They're going to laugh at you anyway. Don't worry about that. And you may have a whole room for a full of them laugh at you, but then there may be one old boy in that room that says, well, man, I sure hear these Christians talking an awful lot about what God does for them. Might say, that maybe that kind of God could do something in my life. We ought to talk about the prayers that God answers for, not just in the church house. We ought to talk about them in the church house, but not just here. You ought to talk about them with your coworkers. You ought to talk about them with the people that you come into contact with day in and day out. Listen, I, I believe in carrying the gospel and I believe we ought to carry the gospel. We should not dismiss that in any way, shape, fashion, or form, but understand that a lot of ground can be uh, made and gained simply by talking about what God's, they might listen to the gospel a lot more readily if they knew that our God was alive. We ought not, Shy away from that. We ought to have the right message. But then notice, secondly, a letter not only has to have the right message to be effective, but it's got to be written in the right manner. There's a lot of times you can say the right thing in the wrong way and not get the message across. I'm not talking about, I'm not talking about compromising. I'm not talking about watering down. But most of us know that this is true, that there's a lot of Christians out here that just have a nasty attitude. A lot of Christians just have a nasty attitude about their Christianity. And I'm here to tell you, listen, we ought to stand. We ought to be uncompromising and, and, and unflinching in our stand. We ought to stand for the faith once delivered to the saints. I'm not saying that we need to become weak-kneed in our stand, but can I say that Christ was a perfect example of being able to love the sinner and still hate the sin. And, you know, we talk about that all the time because we want to focus on hating the sin. But we ought to talk about it every now and then and focus on loving the sinner. And there's both sides to that. We ought to hate the sin. We ought to stand against the sin. But let me tell you something. If the only thing our Christianity is good for is to start a fight, it ain't much Christianity. That's all it's good for. And I know folks that have won a thousand arguments but have never won a soul to Christ. I'm not saying we don't stand. Of course we stand. You know me. This Wednesday night crowd, you know me well enough. But I'm merely saying tonight that we have to learn that you know what what the Bible says, and I believe it's in the book of Titus. I might be mistaken, but I believe it's in the book of Titus where it talks about adorning the gospel of Jesus Christ. You know what adorning is. You ladies know what adorning is. Some of you adorned some makeup before you came on or uh, came tonight, or adorned some jewelry on before you came tonight, and you did something to beautify your appearance. We ought to try to beautify the gospel. We ought to beautify it with the kind of life that honors Christ and the kind of compassion that is Christ-like. You'll find that many, many times Christ took a hard stand against the Pharisees. But when he found the publicans, when he found folks that knew they were sinners, knew they needed God, you'll never find a harsh word he ever spoke to them. Now, he'd look at a Pharisee and he'd say, you whited sepulcher, you generation of vipers. Oh, he'd look at them and they needed to hear that. And there's times and places for that. But listen, we ought not get out here with the poor drunk, with the poor lost sinner, with the with the poor infidel. They're lost like you was lost. We ought to love them and show them compassion. We ought to do it in the right way. Now, I'm not saying we don't mention sin. Nobody can get saved unless they admit they're a sinner. I believe that. That's old-fashioned. A lot of folks don't believe that. I, I know places where they won't go and take a Bible and shove it under somebody's nose. They read that. They read it and say, believe that. They say, yeah, I believe it. And they say, you're saved. That's nonsense. People have to acknowledge they're a sinner. But there's a lot of times that we're beating people over the head that know they're sinners instead of showing them the way to Calvary. And other folks that won't admit that they're sinners, we don't want to talk about sin with them because they're the religious crowd. I'm saying we ought to do it in the right manner. I'm saying there's an approach that we ought to have and an attitude with which we ought to approach people. And I think we ought to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. We ought not just go out to pick a fight all the time. You stand for Christ, there'll be plenty of fights come to you. We ought to go out and try to reach folks and try to reach them with love and compassion. So we see the substance. And let me just close with this final thought. I want you to notice not only the source and scope and substance of these epistles, but the script, the script. What are they written with and what are they written on? Notice first off the pen. It says in verse number 3, written not with ink, but with the Spirit of the living God. Can I say that your testimony can only be what it needs to be in as much as you yield to the Holy Ghost? I was talking to the preacher that did our prayer breakfast, Brother Tracy, and we were just talking about, we actually was talking about the book of Galatians and the Spirit of God. and He shared this with me, and it struck in my mind, and I think it's going to stay there for a while. I hope it does. He said that, uh, you know he he knew that that you get saved by grace. As soon as he got saved, he knew that's you get saved by grace. But he said that he spent a lot of time when he was a young man trying to become a good Christian, trying to be what he needed to be. And he said one day he was out taking a walk. He said he wasn't reading his Bible. He wasn't wasn't even really praying. He was just walking, and God revealed something to him. And I and I agree with this. And it wasn't some kind of advanced revelation. This is scriptural. But it occurred to him in a moment, it was like the Lord told him, Brother Tracy, you're never going to be any better than you are. Your flesh will never be any better than it is right now. You know that's true. The flesh can never, it cannot be eradicated and it cannot be sanctified. Until Jesus comes, our flesh will always be rotten. If anybody was going to sanctify their flesh, it would have been Paul, don't you think? Paul cried out and said, in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. He didn't say there's some bad things dwelling in there. He said there's not one good thing in my flesh. We have the testimonies that we need to have, not, not, not just by studying the Bible a lot, not just by trying to be what we need to be, not even just by prayer. You know, there's lots of folks. I know folks that pray all the time and never grow close to God. I know that seems strange to say, but it's true. Because though they pray and though they read their Bible, they never yield to the Spirit of God, and so they never become any more Christ-like. And their prayer closet turns into vain repetition. And their Bible study time turns into just reading a dead book in their mind and in their life. It can only happen by yielding to the Holy Ghost. He's the one with the pen. He's the one writing. He's the one shaping. He's the one molding. He's the one moving. And He's the one making us what we need to be. You'll only have the testimony you need to have when you yield to the Holy Ghost, and it's Him living through you. And then how does that happen? Notice not only the pen, but notice the paper. Look at the end of verse number 3. It says, "...not in tables of stone..." But in fleshy tables of the heart. Now, there, there's dispensational and theological language that Paul's using here, and he's going to go on to to develop this in the next few verses as he compares the ministration of the Old Testament and the Old Covenant to the ministration of the New Testament and the New Covenant. And so that's very significant. But can I just point this out? This has got to be on the inside before it'll ever be on the outside. It's got you got to love God on the inside before you'll ever love Him on the outside. You've got to get serious about your walk with the Lord. Listen, if we're, when we're willing to be hypocrites, it's all downhill. When we learn how to fake sincerity, there's nothing to stop us. And the sad truth is, for a lot of us, we have an outward form, but we've denied the power thereof. It only comes from getting genuine and honest with Jesus Christ in our hearts. We have to be honest. We have to admit it. If we're not living for the Lord, we have to admit that to the Lord. If we're not being serious, we have to admit that to the Lord. I know we don't think it's going to have any ramifications because we've played the game long enough that we think we can just keep playing it. We've gotten by so far. But here's the thing. There's a difference between getting it by and getting it done. We may be getting by, but that don't mean we're getting it done. If we want to be an epistle that's going to make an impact, we've got to get sincere with the Lord. If we have sin in our lives, we've got to confess it and forsake it. Ask God's forgiveness of it. You say, well, he forgave me on Calvary. Well, he had forgiven John on Calvary too. But John said, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. you say, well, that was written to the sinner. No, because in chapter number 2 and verse 1, he said, if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father. He is talking to believers. If you've got sin in your life, you need to confess it and forsake it and ask God to forgive you of it. We need to get sincere with this thing. If our prayer life ain't what it needs to be, we need to confess it to God and ask His help with it. If we're not reading the Bible like we ought to, we ought to confess it to God and get it settled and get it right. It's got to be on the heart before it'll ever be on paper, before it'll ever be on the outside. A lot of us have no impact because you know why? You can only hide it so long. And the more people know you, the more they'll know you. (laughs) The more they're around you, the better they'll get to know you. But see, if you'll let God change that on the inside, it'll go ahead and change what's on the outside. An epistle is by nature something that's meant meant for the purpose of projecting something, projecting, conveying something. And yet the Lord tells us here that it's written on the hearts. And yet He said we're known and read of all men. We're known and read of all men. Sure, people are watching us, but it begins on the inside and on the heart. I wonder if God touched your heart tonight, I wonder if you'd be willing to go back, uh, go past that first step. You know, that first step is God convicting us. Say, so what's the second step, preacher? That's our obedience. That's us acknowledging, confessing it, saying, Lord, there's are some areas in my life where I've not been what I need to be, and I want to be sincere for you. I want to be sincere with you. I know if I don't confess it to you and forsake it, that, that I can't move on, and I can't move ahead. If God's done that tonight. I want you to be honest now, and I want you to, to approach on the Lord, I want you to get it settled.